Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy. We dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm Molly Wood. This week, okay, I make this comment a lot, that you can look around any room you're in and see 10 to 100 things that could and should be transformed in order to transition to a more sustainable world. And it turns out you don't have to cast your eye very far for this week's topic, which is furniture. The materials, creation, transport, and heaven help us, disposal of furniture all generate varying amounts of greenhouse gases that range from not great to pretty terrible. And manufacturers have been exploring ways to make furniture production greener, including just printing it on site. My name is Philip Robb, and I'm the CEO of Model Number. So what we're working on a model number wow, a lot actually, but uh, I think you know the, the main our main focus right now is uh, you know we three D print and digitally fabricate furniture. I know, and here's why. To be clear, in addition to three D printing furniture, I think one of the, the really important things to highlight is that you know, we really are on a mission to uh, eliminate waste uh, in the furniture industry, and so. What we're doing is we're 3D printing furniture, you know, using either agricultural waste uh, of some sort, so non-petroleum-based plastics. So Philip has a nice long background with big retail brands, including Gap and Nintendo. Then he went to work at Nest with one of our other former guests, Matt Rogers from Mill and, you know, Tony Fidel, the iPod guy. Then Philip co-founded a chain of innovative retail stores called Beta, which showcased cool new hardware products. And then Beta expanded into this thing called Forum, which was a retail space that specifically showcased sustainable and ethically produced lifestyle and fashion brands. And that was kind of the aha moment for Philip. We started to work with more mission-driven companies in the uh, apparel lifestyle brand space. And I think mm -hmm. through that, I was like, wow, you know, this is, I think, where I think my passion lies. This is how I live my life. This is how my family, you know, we we operate. You know, the things that we do about, you know, less consumption, about the type of brands, you know, where we spend kind of our money, about, you know, really minimizing waste, um, more of a circular economy. These are all things that were really passionate to me. And I think, you know, in my next role, I was like, you know what, I, I need to incorporate this more into, you know, what I do every day. Yeah. And hence, which, uh, you know, led to model number. Uh, and, and I joined, you know, as the CEO back in uh, 2020. Talk to me about waste and this industry yeah. specifically and how Model Number aims to correct that. Like how big a problem is waste in designing, building and shipping furniture? Like you can imagine it's big, but <laughs> to the extent that you can quantify it. It's it's huge. I mean, it's, 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 it's a big problem that you can quantify. I mean, I think just the amount of waste, you know, so if you think about most of the waste that happens is is twofold. One, it is because there's excess inventory in the market mm. because, you know, you'll see a furniture company, whether it be on both the commercial side or on the residential side, that is, you know, in the same way, like, like apparel or any other type of you know, CPG products, you're producing X amount because you think there's going to be demand. Well, if there isn't demand, 
and you have to either dispose of those products at some point in time, or you know, they sit in a warehouse, they're discounted, you've got people that are buying them, maybe they really don't want them, then you realize a year later you've uh, you know, bought this thing because there was a great discount on it, and then you end up you know, disposing of it. Right. Um, and so there's so much landfill. I mean, there's just, there's, I think it's like 12 billion you know, tons of landfill of product that, that ends up in, in landfills every year. And so I think there's so much focus right now, I think, on building and building materials which is obviously a huge you know, area of opportunity because of, um, you know, makes up, I think, like 40% of the, the waste. But then you also don't realize that if you're building brand new office buildings and you're building your know, residential and you're building, you know, hotels and hospitality space, there's a lot of things that also go into it. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, those products typically maybe have a life cycle of, uh, in like in the restaurant industry, it's maybe one to two years in hospitality or in retail or office, you know, it's maybe like five to seven. And what ends up happening is you see this you know, time and time again, you drive by a, a building and there's a huge you know, dumpsters out front and people are just disposing of these things. Right. And there really isn't a circular economy, I think, for a lot of these products. So you have, so just to break it down, you have these kind of three aspects that go into it. There's the production itself, there's the materials out of which the furniture is produced, and then there's the disposal. Yeah, absolutely. And is, is model number tackling all three of those or just the first two? 100%. Um, you know, we're we're looking at it to say, you know, you have to look at the entire life cycle of kind of what you're doing. So, it starts from us with um, if you if you kind of take it, it's the first piece of it is is the materiality. Yep. So um, you know, today, if you look at products, so we, we use two types of you know, primarily um, we are either using some sort of wood in our products, and then we're looking also at the the printed. You know, elements of the products because what we like to do and we think the way that kind of creates the warmth of the furniture and, and really makes it functional is by incorporating both 3d printing as well as kind of bringing you know some small you know, aspect of familiarity to to the product mm-hmm. and so if we look at our materials in our woods you know we were just by the sustainability council for or sfc certified you know, we were just named you know the, the third best furniture company in the world by by them and we were only one point away from being in first place so you know that was that's something that's really important to us you know the way that we you know are looking at things from from kind of start to finish uh when we don't use this c certified woods we're using either reclaimed or salvaged wood and then on the the printed side you know typically you'll see if there's any plastics that are being used that they're from petroleum-based plastics but we're not doing that we're taking things you know already from agricultural uh, and bioresins. So essentially, um, we have vendors that extract the sugars from the agricultural waste from there, then that's compounded. Um, so we have two materials. So we're using a PLA and we're also using a CA, which is made from wood pulp and cotton fibers. And so... So you can... I feel like you're so matter-of-fact about this and people are yeah. like, I'm sorry, wait, that exa- you can yeah. do that? <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, so I think... Back up. You can do yeah. that? <laughs> you can do that. Um and it is remarkable, right? I mean, in, in the sense that, you know, that there is this technology around this now and there's people solving these really big problems to say, you think about how much food waste exists, right? You've had this conversation again with, with Matt, you at yeah. Mill, right? I mean, that, that just, that, that is just sitting idle and we're not doing anything with it. Everyone's talking about a lot of this, you know, ocean plastic, but it's a petroleum based and there's actually a lot of toxicity that comes into taking those plastics and then turning it into something, you know, versus... With this, it's a it's a much cleaner process, both for our employees, 
um, on the manufacturing side, but then also ultimately there's no off-gassing, you know, on mm-hmm. the on the consumer side. And so there, it's it is a remarkable type of thing that there's you know the the, the capabilities um, to to do this. And so we're working with you know amazing vendors, and you know even the the CA that we're working with is you know eventually uh, we think it's going to be based from from, the, from our vendors you know probably 99% plus you know, biodegradable you know today it's about like 93 94% mm-hmm. um you know biodegradable because there is some sort of plasticizer so you have to bind the 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 wood pulp and, and the cotton fibers you know together and then sorry what does ca stand for it's acylia acetate acylia acetate okay so today it's typically used in in eyewear so uh, i think probably the most Commonplace I've seen it, you know, is either in safety eyewear or, or even if you went, I think Warby Parker actually on their website there's a um, there's a video of them kind of cutting you know, their eyewear uh, through CNC. You means not 3D printing. Gotcha. Anyway, so we we look at materiality from the first part, right? To say like, mm-hmm. what are the things that we're doing? How are we taking something that already exists and turning it into a product? Right. And then from there, the story behind it is like, you know, we want to look to um, you know, we're small today, um, you know, so we, we domestically manufacture all of our products here in, uh, uh, in Oakland, California. But the long-term goal is, is that we want to be able to open microfactories very close to where the end product is going to end up, right? So that you're manufacturing and you're maybe only moving the product 100, 150 miles ultimately to where the end user is going to be. Mm-hmm. So that cuts back on, obviously... The moving of of product from from point A to point B, which is you know, has a has a pretty you know big detrimental impact on I think from an environmental perspective, and then it's really eliminating I think the the total waste. So it's you know we're saying one if it's made to order or if it's if we're not holding any inventory, you don't have excess waste. Typically, if it's being made to order or, or customized in some way, you know that people it's something that somebody wants because they're really taking the time and the effort to say, no, I, I need it to fit this particular need. And so we don't see returns. And then because of that, then ultimately we're saying, okay, well, at the same time, we do want to ensure that, you know, when you are done with this is that, you know, if it's five years, seven years from now, like we're, we're in the process of implementing um, take back programs. So we'll be able to eventually take back the product from uh, whether it be our corporate clients or even, you know, to for consumers um, because the two materials, one we use is, is both recyclable and or um, compostable. And then the other, the CA, you know, ultimately is you know, biodegradable. So if it ends up in a landfill or you know, ends up in, uh, in the ocean somehow, you know, eventually it's going to break down and not you know, cause, I think, you know, some of the detriments that we, we see today with, uh, with petroleum-based plastics. Gotcha. Okay, so let's um, dig a little more into the specific elements. So one, you can create microfactories in part because 3D printing doesn't take up that much space relative to a huge furniture manufacturing right. facility, I assume. Yeah, you're absolutely right. How how big are the... Pr- I mean, <laughs> breaking down again, like things that I think people's perception of 3D printing is still pretty garage-based versus, oh, it turns out you could print a chair or a couch or a table. Um, so that all by itself might be a revelation to some. But so how big is a micro facility? Yeah, so, you know, we have uh, our, our micro facility or from our production um, standpoint here in Oakland. And we're about 5,000 square feet. And so a uh, industrial size 3D printer, it really, if you kind of think about, you know, what we're, 
the way we see the long-term vision is if you've, you know, most people I think have seen, you know, whether it be in, in the movies or in TV shows or, you know, some sort of content, uh, you've seen like what a data center looks like where you just have racks and racks of, of, of data being kind of, kind of transmitted with the same thing for us is that what we want to see or just where you have 3d, you know, large industrial 3d printers. And so a 3D printer is, you know, we, there's two types that you'll typically see. One is a robotic arm. We do not use the robotic arms. You know, we use uh, or kind of more gantry style enclosures. So it's you know, four walls, roughly 10 by 10 feet. And so the, they're computerized in the sense that I mean, we have like a 3D technician or 3D engineer who uh, is just going in, programs the, the, the prints. And then off they go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can imagine you know, one person maybe who's managing five 3D printers at, at, at a time at a large scale. And so these things, because they're, you know, they, uh, there's heat enclosures, they can be running you know, ultimately 24-7. You know, we don't have today um, because, again, you know, we're, we're still kind of in that growth stage. But, you know, ultimately you can have about 90% uptime uh, on, on the machines, you know, year round. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really, it starts to make the manufacturing process one, not as labor intensive. Two, depending, you know, like today in our facility, uh, we have both solar and wind um, you know, through our electric company that is powering uh, all of uh, you know, the energy in, in our building. So again, there's can continue ways that you know, make that you know, even more, I think, sustainable in nature. Yeah. So you can imagine, you can start, you know, 5,000 square feet is not hard to find, right? I mean, you know, yeah. in parts of the country, you know, there's large swaths of homes that are that are larger than I was that. Say, and, and turns out people are yeah, buying houses yeah. that big, which is crazy. Yeah. But. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean I know where you know you and I where we're based. I mean that's not, not as much uh, common, but there's definitely parts of the country where, you know, you know, that's like an average size house in some cases. And so, you know, it's not a big facility that we need, you know, to mm-hmm. have and the idea of having these, you know, both uh, domestically and then ultimately, you know, at a global scale is, is something that we think is not only not only do I think this is something that's going to happen for us, but I think this is going to start to happen in a lot of different industries. Mm. This this kind of micro factory paradigm, you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you like know, where, more hyper local production, basically. Hyper, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. Because you you know, one depending on the type of product, there's there is a need. I think for people want things faster, right? I mean, there's there's this convenience kind of factor, but at the same time. You know, we saw that some a lot of the challenges um, I think that happened you know over the last couple of years of getting products um, you know out of whether that was out of China or across kind of the globe with shipping containers. So I think as technology improves, you're going to see a lot of this happen with with manufacturing in general, where I think you're going to start to see you know a lot more real time as well as you know manufacturing much closer to the source. Time for a quick break. When we come back, more on how the furniture is made and, oh yeah, what it looks like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey. 
Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. We're talking with Philip Raub, the CEO of Model Number, which is 3D printing furniture out of biodegradable, plastic-free, and recycled wood materials. And on that note, let's talk about the the feedstock, the actual kind of supply side. So you you said you're working with vendors now who are creating these petroleum-free plastic-esque products and wood-based products. Yeah. How how dependent are you on that? You know, like when you're citing a manufacturing facility, does there have to be a company making those products locally as well? Ideally, I mean, but there's... Are you like, I guess I'm, I think in a clumsy way, I'm trying to say, are you also enabling a larger waste to value market? I would hope so over time. I mean, you know, right now, I think we are beholden, obviously, to, you know, to the vendors that do that. Right now, there is, I think, enough um, agricultural waste in this country and, and globally. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you look at some of the numbers, I mean, it's pretty astounding, right, that you, you, you kind of read. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much excess food that's produced globally to uh, more than feed you know, the, the amount of people, even with the growth rate that's, that's happening. The problem is, is it's, just, it's the way that it's dispersed. And so in the U.S. alone, I mean, just the, the amount of agricultural you know, waste, I think, that's happening. So we typically get most of our stuff um, from Midwest and the Southeast, just because that's where our vendors are located. But yes, I do think over time that, you know, you can start to you know, hope that, that we will have access that to no matter where we go. Because, you know, I, as I've been looking at international expansion, I've also been having conversations. And so we do know that there's vendors that, that can help us out pretty much in, in any region in the world at this point. Right. So, you know, and then the idea too, is that, you know, if you are having that, at least it's, it's being shipped kind of in bulk because what the way that it is, the way that we receive it is in a form of a, a small pellet. So almost if you think of like a pellet, like, you know, almost like from a, I guess I'm thinking of a BB gun, I'm trying to kind of think of like, you know, something <laughs> to kind of, kind of compare it to, um, you know, that's, you know, really what, what they kind of a uh, little bit, maybe more of a raw form. Um, and then, you know, from that, those are then kind of put into, you know, the extruders and then that's how we, you know, 3D print the product. It's funny that there are this many parts of your business that are this fascinating and we haven't even talked about the furniture yet, which is beautiful. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Like, and then at the end of all of this, there's this like stunning, modern, super cool looking, you know, furniture and accessories, right? Give us a sense of kind of the product lines that are available. Yeah, um, you know we've we've tinkered a lot and played around with a lot. I think you know some. I think really proud of you know where where the team has gotten today. But you know we wanted to do things that we felt like from a design perspective, one were I think challenging a little bit of conventional norms. So you know creating designs that you know you can't necessarily easily do or replicate through mass manufacturing, right? So these might be things you can do very like one-off, very artisanal type of, you know, pieces that you can create. You know, it's like some of our, our, our chairs, like the bolster or the Esker chair, because of just the designs. When you, when people see the product, which we can do, which was a wood print where we can take sawdust or, you know, wood particles and mix it and compound that into the 3D prints. Some people from afar think it looks like bent plywood, which is, I think, a compliment and testament to, I think, you know, the, the talented team that we have. And so if we really look and say design comes first. I mean, if you don't have a well-designed product, I don't care what it's made of or what the environmental story is, like people aren't going to buy it. Through a lot of hard work, I think now we've gotten to the point where I think we have a very strong commercially viable product. 
but again, it's enrooted in just design because what happened was I think there's limitations in, in, in the 3D printing and, and when you can find your know, great designers and, and, and engineers who are working together and collaborating to say like, I want to create this amazing piece, this is my design, how do we then actually bring that to life through 3D printing versus, hey, this is what the, the limitations of the software say that it can do. Because you may not, you get something great if you work only within what maybe the parameters of what people tell you can do. And we see that right in life and in business in general, where, you know, the, the most innovation happens is when people say, no, I want to convent, we're going to challenge the conventional norms of, you know, what something is telling us we can do. Mm-hmm. And how do we break through that? And I think that's led us to the designs we have today. So we focus you know, primarily on seating, uh, lighting, tables, which we incorporate usually a table base is 3D printed and then we'll have some sort of kind of hardwood top and then planters. Right. And then in terms of market, it's it, some high-end consumer, but primarily corporate. Is that fair? Yeah. So I, the vast majority of our business is probably, you know, I would say enterprise. So workplace, hospitality, you know, we've done some stuff now. We're doing some stuff in, uh, in education, even in healthcare, you're starting to see that there's a a big, you know, focus to say like, okay, you know, gone are the days of the, you know, the bland, just stark doctor's offices or, mm. you know, facilities and things like that to say like, how do you create something that's more warm or more unique and, and aesthetically pleasing? So, you know, we've had some, some breakthroughs in that area. And then probably, you know, I'd say a third, you know, 30% of our business is then, you know, more in the high-end kind of residential sector. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that's part and that's for two reasons. One, I think you really understand that people are appreciating that they want something maybe different or unique that you know isn't just something that you would find in in your typical kind of mass market furniture brand. And so, you know, we work very closely with a lot of interior designers and architects and, and people in the trade to kind of create uh, our, our products. So that's where we we focus. You know, most of the business today. And are people. Uh, consumers who are buying, I, I mean, are they buying for sustainability reasons? Like, is that their, is that the driver that leads them there? Or are they kind of saying, you know, I want the look either is equally valid. <laughs> yep. I, I think at, at this level, it's both. Yeah. Um, and I think before we can kind of get into the mass market uh, eventually, which we, I believe we'll, we'll get there, but you know, the price point um, that the products are at, it's really interesting because we've done a lot of research in this area. And I, I think consumers will pay a small premium mm-hmm. for something that they, you know, kind of deem to be, you know, quote unquote sustainable, but it has its limitations on on how much they'll pay, right? I mean, and usually it's, you know, maybe it's somewhere in the depending on the price point, you know, it could be somewhere between maybe 10 and 30%. But, you know, when you start to really say, okay, no, like this this product is at a higher, you know, kind of premium, because that's, you know, just where we're at from you know manufacturing, but we we were able to just start you know kind of chipping away, and we're finding that you know the, the materials uh, are starting to kind of get cheaper. We're getting better at what we do, so we can kind of uh, you know streamline and and uh, you know some of the products, our larger products, were taking us twenty plus hours to print. You know, and th- now that mm-hmm. same product is around five or six hours because we're just over time we've just gotten better. At what we do, and I think you know that you know it starts to bring the price down. So eventually, we think it will start to make that more accessible, where you don't necessarily have to charge that huge premium. But you know, today we find it's a balance that people love the designs that are unique, but also these are individuals that you know really believe, and I think kind of what we're doing and, and the story behind it. How um, give me a sense of of what 
price point we're talking. Like I'm looking at the bolster chair. There will be a picture of this on the website and on the social channels, which is sort of a, you know, this beautiful chair with like a nice hollow center and a lovely bolster pillow. Like how much would that cost? Yeah. I mean, the bolster chair, you know, retails for just under uh, like Mm $2,000. So you know, again, it has a has a premium um, to it, uh, but you know, it, again, I mean, but here's it's not a product. Like an Eames that, chair. That's still like that's still within reach of design within uh, reach. <laughs> yeah, yes. Again, it's yes. This isn't you know, I think a piece that that's going to run you you know like ten thousand dollars by any means. It, right. It's accessible, right? You know, but it's but we know that it, you know it, it definitely plays on on the kind of the higher side of, of the premium. And we do you know we have some custom products, right? You know, like if you wanted like a custom dining room or conference room table, I mean, you might be talking like $20,000. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, on a little bit on the higher end. Um, but, uh, it, but I think, you know, like you said, I think the chairs that we have and the products, it also too depends if it's something is all is hundred percent 3d printed, it's actually cheaper for us to make than if it has wood, because there is some wood, there is some labor component that is uh, involved in anything with wood because we have to, to assemble, you know, the product versus like the bolster. And, and that's why we're also moving towards a lot more of just the wholly 3d printed pieces because, you know, we can bring the price point down and make it more accessible, you know, in the categories like we have for lighting and some of the seating and planters as well. Philip told me the company is still working on how it quantifies the carbon footprint of its products, but they're labeled net zero on the website because they're not made from any new materials and model number powers its microplant with renewable energy. He also says the company is experimenting with making products that come in a black coating that actually sequesters carbon and any colors are created using non-toxic dyes. You can see all the designs and contact the company at model-no.com. And we've got some pictures and video up on our Instagram channel, which you can find at in the pool pod. So you can peek at that while you're listening as like a visual guide. It's also a plug for our Instagram channel, which you should totally subscribe to. And on this topic of sustainable furniture that isn't at the design within reach price point, in researching this episode, I found out that IKEA has actually committed to being climate positive, whatever that means, net zero maybe, by 2030, and has been testing a furniture rental program like Rent the Runway, my absolute favorite, but for furniture. And several other retailers are doing the same thing. More details on that in the show notes or at everybodyinthepool.com. And that's it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Thank you so much for listening. Email me your thoughts and suggestions to in at everybodyinthepool.com. I am reading all your emails. And find all the latest episodes and more at inthepool.com, the website. And if you want to become a subscriber and get an ad-free version of the show, hit the link in the description in your podcast app of choice. Thank you so much to those of you who already have. We will be off for the Thanksgiving holiday because normalize taking holidays, people. But I'm back the week after with a whole new episode. Enjoy the family time and the tofurkey. Am I right? And see you then. 